Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. And welcome to heaven. This is Under Consultation, an episode-by-episode podcast-type situation through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Games Master. I am one of your hosts, Luke Owen, and you can call me the Fiat Chiachenko of the podcasting world. And put out the cat and prepare that letter of complaint. I am Ash Versus. This episode aired on the 9th of November 1995. Mortal Kombat 3 remains top of the console charts. Gangster's Paradise is still top of the pops, but there's a new number one at the top of the UK box office with French Kiss. Rappelons à nos voyageurs que l'usage des appareils électroniques est interdit durant le décollage de l'appareil. What was that? What did she say? That sounded serious. The pilot says there is a crack in the engine, but not to worry, he'd take off anyway. Kate's gone to Paris to get back the man of her dreams. I'm gonna get him back and I'm gonna make him love me and we are gonna live happily ever after. Because I know I will triumph. Now she's going along with her worst nightmare. Oh my god, my bags are gone. What is your problem? They're my bags! But you could I'm not it because it is my country and this is a scandal. Do, do you have a plan for when you see Charlie? Once he saw me, myself, moi, everything would change, the spell would be broken. Oh, look, it's a mid-90s romantic comedy, Luke. You don't get many of those in the mid-90s, particularly starring Meg Ryan. But it's not one of the goods. Well, no, no, I'm not going to take that back because I actually haven't seen it, so I don't know. Uh, it's not one of the well-known Meg Ryan romantic comedies from the mid-90s. No, it was actually originally written with the male lead meant to be Gerard Depardieu, but kind of Kevin Klein 
took the role when Depardieu was busy being Gerard Depardieu, to be honest. It got mixed reviews. It didn't get all slammed. It didn't get all praised. But it did earn a total worldwide box office of over $100 million. That's not bad, actually. I don't know what the budget was off the top of my head, but there's no way a romantic comedy starring Meg Ryan and Kevin Klein cost over $100 million. I would say probably maybe $30 million at most. Given it's the mid-90s, maybe 15 Yeah, I was going to say, and the majority of that is Meg Ryan's contract. Yeah, God knows what. Her, her ride is probably just jars and jars of brown M&Ms. Speaking of Gerard Doopy-Doo, uh, it reminds me of a Doopy-Doo. joke. doo Yes, exactly, yeah. <laughs> well, it reminds me of a joke that I heard many, many moons ago, which is that if Whoopi Goldberg had married Doopy-Doo, her name would be Whoopi-Doopy-Doo. <laughs> Terrible. Absolutely terrible. Uh, the plot is very basically a woman flies to France to confront her straying fiancé and, oh, would you know it, a charming crook seated next to her uses her to smuggle a stolen diamond necklace. Would you, Adam and Eve it? What are the chances? It's that old, old story. Man confronts woman is used as a mule for stolen goods. It just, you know, happens every day. Got a bit of music news here. November 6th, Cher releases It's a Man's World, her first album in four years. And on that same day, coincidentally, with another four years here, Queen released their final studio album with the original lineup four years after Freddie's death, Made in Heaven. Oh, tough album to listen to. It's not a bad album, but it's a tough album to listen to because obviously you can hear he's not quite where he was. He's still a very powerful, distinguished voice, but interesting that Cher's album was called It's a Man's World because that's a James Brown song. It is, and it's because it features a cover of said song right at the end of the album. Oh, I might have to check that out. I'm somewhat, somewhat curious. It's not bad, you know, like it's it, as a share album. I'm only uh, funny enough. The only reason I know some of this is because recently while we were doing a road trip, my wife said to me, oh, we don't have enough share on our joint playlist. So I just started adding some share playlists and I was going through the albums and adding certain songs like I added Walking in Memphis from this one. And yeah, like it's there are some songs in there that I think are actually pretty good. This is before share becomes, you know, that share that we get in the late 90s. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I think we could probably just leave that there. Have we got anything in the magazine we want to talk about? Now, Luke, we both like Castlevania. It's fair to say. I think we, we sure do. I would certainly say that it has come up a lot on this podcast. How many times have you played Symphony of the Night so far? Yeah, quite a bit. And I've played it a lot since the kid has been born as well. However, I have moved on to Aria of Sorrow because I've got, I downloaded the advanced collection on the PlayStation 4. So I've been playing a lot more Aria of Sorrow than I have Symphony of the Night. For now. For now. Well, here in Games Master Magazine, we are still obviously in the era of 16-bit, even though 32-bit is knocking down the door and making a mess everywhere. There are still new games being released for the SNES, including a new entry in the Castlevania franchise. And I use the word new in Bucky O'Hare's because it's not. It's Castlevania Vampire's Kiss, otherwise known as Dracula X, otherwise known in gameplay and storyline as Rondo of Blood. Yeah, so it was released as Rondo of Blood on on the PC Engine, and it's like it, it's sort of a a precursor to Symphony of the Night. And then the SNES version is Rondo of Blood, but 
not Rondo of Blood. It's actually a brand new game. It's amazing when like this, the speedrun community get into Dracula X and, and Rondo of Blood and things like that. It's oftentimes people see the sprite and they see that first level and just assume that they're the same game. But once you get past that first screen in Dracula X and you get into the rest of the game, because it's a whole different thing. It's a bizarre one. It's not... Um, it, it's, I think for Super Nintendo owners... Dracula X felt like a bit of a step down from Castlevania 4 because Castlevania 4 had all of a sudden you know you could whip in all eight directions and it was a much more dynamic game whereas Dracula X takes it more back to the NES style which is you know pressing up and a button to throw your weapon as opposed to one of the shoulder buttons um because it's on the PC engine so it feels a bit clunkier than Super Castlevania 4. It's, it's an odd one technically because you're right, there is an all new level and altered gameplay elements. There are two reasons for that. One of which is exclusivity rights with the PC Engine maker NEC over Rondo of Blood. But the other is while technically the SNES in some ways was more advanced than the PC Engine, it was also more restricted because Rondo of Blood was a PC Engine Super CD-ROM title. So the SNES had more kind of graphical oomph to it in some ways and all its various modes and trickeries, but couldn't do your Redbook audio, couldn't do some of your fancy video effects that came with the CD-ROM. So it's a weird kind of like mongrel type of a game. And it's interesting to see it reviewed here because, yeah, the original kind of, I guess, source on the PC Engine was a 1993 game. And here we are with it being released in July in Japan for the SNES, September for North America, and technically not getting released over here until the beginning of next year, i.e. 1996, not 2023. That'd be weird. That would be weird, yeah. It's it, The most interesting thing about Rondo of Bloods and, uh, you know, and, and Dracula X and this and the other is its introduction of Richter Belmont, because Richter Belmont becomes a huge character within the Castlevania franchise. This is his first appearance. He is the descendant of Simon Belmont, and he then becomes one of the pivotal characters of Symphony of the Night, so much so that when you complete through Symphony of the Night, you can unlock Richter Belmont and play through a basically a different version of the game as Richter. And Richter's even a character in Aria of Sorrow as an unlockable character. It, and it was in Super Smash Brothers the uh, when they started putting all the Castlevania stuff in there. So it's interesting from that aspect of it. But it's of the 16-bit versions of Castlevania, I think it is right at the bottom. I actually think the next generation on uh, the Mega Drive is better than Rondo of Blood or Dracula X, or Vampire's Kiss, whatever we want to call it these days. Well, I think Games Master Magazine may agree with you, because their review is... I, it's not completely damning, but it feels weird to see a entry in Castlevania score this lowly. Because in the review, they say, Vampire's Kiss isn't quite exactly the same as the original Castlevania, but it doesn't offer as much new gameplay or as many new features as a sequel should. Vampire's Kiss basically takes gameplay that was good five years ago and tries to get away with it now. What was good for 1990 looks a tad dated in 1995. Of course, if you aren't a crusty SNES veteran, then you may not have had the chance to get your hands on Castlevania, in which case Vampire's Kiss is perfect. Although quite why you would want to pay full price for something when the original, which is just as good if not better, is available at ridiculously low prices if you look around. Vampire's Kiss is an above-average platform action game but it just doesn't offer enough new features to create the kind of fuss that surrounds the original. With the last few months being full of blockbuster releases, this kind of gets lost in the woods. I can't believe that I'm having a popular game that's full of vampires, zombies, whips and ghosts and ghouls, but when it amounts to more of the same, then I have to. 
A few new bosses and cosmetic changes don't make a proper sequel. If you haven't played the first game, then this is worth a shot. But Castlevania has had its day. Let it rest in peace. Did Dave Perry write that final line? No, it was Les. Les, man. I'm shocked and feeling somewhat disappointed by that review. I mean, although, as you rightly pointed out, it's not the best. I think it's broadly fair, actually, as a review, because it got fairly mixed reviews when the game came out, as you'd mentioned earlier. And I think it's there was something I hadn't really considered until Les was talking about it there. We are right at the end of the SNES's life cycle here. You know, the N64 isn't that far off. We are really at the tail end here of the Super Nintendo. And if this is your last Castlevania game, it's only the second Castlevania game on the Super Nintendo, you would have expected it to be a bigger game. Certainly an improvement on Super Castlevania 4, which came out right at the start of the SNES life cycle. And here we are at the tail end, and we've got a game that is broadly fine. And I don't think that's good enough. Are you ready to play the scores game, Luke? Oh dear, here we go. So graphics. A couple of the bosses look impressive, but everything else is pretty poor. Hmm. Now, do I think this is in the 80s or the 70s? I'm going to say 81. 70. (laughs) I was way off. Sounds. And keep in mind, of course, that the original game that this was based on was a CD-ROM game. Sadly lacking in this department, a few whip cracks and some naff music. That doesn't sound great. That must be in the... I mean, if these the 70s were fairly positive, then this has got to be within the 60s range. I'm saying 63. Oh, 67. <laughs> but close. I mean, you're, you're, you're zoning in. You're getting there. Yeah, I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to tap into Les here. I'm trying to tap into November, October 1995 Les. Gameplay. Dull and unimaginative. No improvement on the first one, really. Now, I will say... That sounds more dour than sounds, but don't let that fool you. I'm giving you okay. a little bit of a hint here. Okay, thank you very much, which means that suggests to me that I may be going back into the 70s, because I would have stayed in the 60s otherwise, and I'll stick at 71. Oh, too low. 79? Oh, okay. I suppose core mechanics, even if it's nothing new, is still Castlevania. Castlevania, isn't it? Life spam. Challenging at first, but when you see what it has to offer, you'll soon tire of it. Yeah, that sounds like we're back into the 60s here, or at the very least low 70s. Actually, you know what? I'm going to say 71 again. 76. You were in the right percentile, though. You were, you know, within five without going over. Yeah, not too bad at all. And then overall, a disappointing follow-up to Castlevania. Pales into insignificance when you compare it to some recent releases. Good for 1990 but not for 1995. That is... Hmm. That is... That is... I think... 74. Oh, so close. 72. That's the closest I've been, I think, in the entirety of this podcast. That is the closest I've ever come. Hey, progress. (laughs) Hey, progress. (laughs) Good day to you, viewers, and I'm not lying there because there's a certain smell in the air. Is it the smell of ripened fruit? Is it the smell of freshly cut flowers? No, that smell is cup final atmosphere. A smell more rarefied and intense than my ridiculously expensive gentleman's cologne. That's because today sees the final of the Games Master Football Tournament featuring Phil Babb and Dean Holdsworth. But there's another less than lovely odour lingering. The smell of fear. And all the pants in heaven are rapidly filling up in anticipation of the execution. 
Oh, can you feel it in the air, Ash? Can you feel that aroma around us? That cup final atmosphere? Yes, yes. It's that kind of all that hope with more than a hint of desperation and possible disappointment, which is ironic given the way this final plays out. It's not ripened fruit and it's not freshly cut flowers. Nor is it pants being filled. Thankfully. (laughs) This episode is pants heavy, isn't it? Like, this is, we, you know, pants is very much a staple of Games Master. At least that's kind of like, you know, what everyone seems to think of Games Master. And yet here we are, we're now nearing the midpoint of series five. And this here feels like the most pants heavy episode. And I think by the time we get to series seven, I remember an interview with Dominic Diamond, I think in Games Master magazine, actually, where he talks about how he doesn't want to be using the word pants anymore. Which makes me think then the whole pants explosion of Games Master is a very small period of time. Yeah, short, but a short but intense explosion in your pants. But we get not one, not two, not three, not five, but four instances of pants like in the first half of this show. Yes, all the pants in heaven are rapidly feeling in fear of our first challenge. What are we playing, Games Master? As you know, I'm a big fan of the death move. Those finishing moments of a beat-em-up which leave no one in any doubt as to who is the victor. I was intrigued then, the other day, to receive a letter from a character calling himself the Executioner, claiming he could pull off every possible death move on every conceivable game. I decided at once to put him to the test by collecting together a vast number of beat-em-ups and requiring him to pull off three death moves in a row from the three randomly selected games. Let's see how hard this executioner really is. I love this challenge concept here. This is really, really cool. This is a lad who claims that he can do all the death moves on every computer game, pretty much on every system with every character i think that's really really cool so what they're doing is they've got a random selection of games here on a random selection of systems he's going to pick them at random and then he's going to have to pull off those special moves he's got to do three of them in order to win the joystick this feels like a games master gore special challenge here in series five it's also like some of the challenges we've had it's quite a conceit quite a a setup but also and i say this with a lot of love it's quite ramshackle yeah are you talking just about his costume or the challenge in as a whole the picking games out of a pillowcase basically like it feels like given that you're on this fancy blue screen with the angels with the garden of eden and all that kind of thing going on you could have done a bit better than a spare pillowcase full of some loose cartridges and or cd boxes like you could have had a wheel it it feels almost like yeah because that's the other thing we don't really see what the other options could have been you know don tells us later on there were 12 games available for him to choose from but we don't know what those other games were and i'd like to have seen what those other games were it's a bit like do you remember back in series three with the super mario brothers challenge yes that's a little bit what this is like where it's just like huh well, I can sort of see what you're going for here, but I don't think this is the best execution of that idea. Pardon the pun. Ironic. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's the alternative where we know sometimes Games Master was smoke and mirrors. Were there really 12 games or was it actually just these three games were the games chosen? Because it feels like there's a lot of, there's a lot of setup involved to make 12 games 
available and 12 games prepared and 12 characters chosen and 12 fatalities identified when you're only going to pick three. Mm. Whereas you could just have three in the pillowcase and, you know, that's that. And like he, you, so we, he knows what the three games are and what the three characters he has been given. So he can just practice those three, essentially. So it's not the 142 or whatever it is that Dom claims it is. It's actually just three. So old people everywhere, put out the cat and prepare that letter of complaint as we meet the Executioner. Welcome to the show, Executioner. Nice to meet you. Now, uh, I have to say, you're a wee bit small for an Executioner. You're kind of like a Fiat Cinquecento of the execution world. Well, do you really think so? Well, I am the best games-playing maniac in the world, and that is why I'm here. Okay, and the outfit, where did you pick that up? Well, come to think of it, my mother made it for me. Right, uh, okay, that's fine. She's obviously done a fantastic job there. And you do reckon you can pull off any death move in any game, yeah? Any game. Well, we're going to put that to the test. Ladies, the bag, please. But then we have the executioner himself, who Dom thinks is quite small to be an executioner, almost the Fiat Chicanto, if you will. <laughs> I, just, I love that. I love that reference to a fucking awful car. Yeah, she, he basically princess layers him. Aren't you a little short to be a stormtrooper? Yeah, and the executioner, somewhat unconvincingly, is just like, ah, that doesn't matter. I'm the best games player in the world. That's why I'm here. This very much feels like it is poking fun at Gabe's world. Yes, in a way, really, which is weird because it's the same people, right? What I can actually tell you is that the executioner also goes by the name Ravi Chopra. Aha, well, there he is then, because he's featured in this series already. He's one of the researchers. And this is not the last time we'll see him. He will be back in Series 6 as the boss. There you go. Then This is very much just a mocking of Games World. Yeah. On Series 6, his challenge is to defeat three different bosses on Star Gladiator, Knights into Dreams, and Resident Evil. And I bet you the conceit and the setup is pretty much the same. And now I haven't watched as far ahead as Series 6 yet, but I'm almost hoping that Dominic's like, I get the feeling I've met you before. (laughs) But poor bugger, it's not an entirely comfortable costume. It doesn't look great. It does look very, very cheap. This is the second challenge that we've had in Series 5 where one of the researchers has done this. And that's not exactly exclusive to Series 5. We've seen that actually across uh, Games Master et al. Uh, but this feels like the first time where I, I want to believe that there were 12 games available and there were 147 death moves that he, could, uh, that he had to pick from. But knowing that he is part of the research team and he is clearly friends with the people who are making this show, it does feel like a bit of a ringer and it is just there were three options in there and he was either going to do it or not and there probably this challenge exists just so they could show orchid's death move on tv hey i've just been going over in my head what 12 games could there have been okay so you've got mortal kombat one two and three that's a cheap way to do it but you've got three there you've got killer instinct so that's four primal rage that's five Eternal Champions on the Mega CD, I think, is out at this point. Six. That's got fatalities. Um, and then there'll be all the ones on the Jaguar, so Way of the Warrior. Seven. Kasumi Ninja. Eight. Uh, and they might have even cheated and put, like, you could even say that 
Primal Rage on the Mega Drive or the SNES because it's the 3DO version here. They they could have doubled up on titles, basically. Yeah. I mean, I'm persuaded. I'm sure because we will get letters. I'm sure there are 12 games available at this time that have finishing moves. But realistically, there's only three or four that you're gonna be playing. I think so. Yeah, that are actually like popular and stuff. Because we saw you know a whole host of death moves and stuff when we did the Gore special. So they they are out there and they are available. But I'm starting to think that this is probably a bit more rigged than the show is letting on still one thing that is certain is no matter how rigged this this um this challenge may be i entirely buy that the executioner's mother made the outfit for him i also buy that he's very good at these games because he's not half bad at these games particularly when we get to killer instinct on the snares i try to work out he's clearly been given some lines he's clearly been given some kind of prompting and some notes and I can't work out if the delivery is just his delivery or if he's been told to kind of, I guess, down, like like kind of give quite a soft, flat delivery. Because even when he's being melodramatic, which he's very melodramatic later, it's all kind of very village hall, amdram, school play kind of delivery, you know? Yeah, I don't even think it's a case of being told. I think it's just this is the discussion they'd have had in the production meeting that this is the style they'll do. I I say the production meeting, they probably would have just had on set, let's do it this way, and that'll probably be fine. Because as we know with Games Master, it's one take and done. We've got to move on. We've got shit to do. In this bag, we have 12 beat-em-ups. That's a total possible combination of 147 death moves. I'm going to ask the executioner to pick three of them at random, and he's going to have to pull off the death moves for the characters we've secretly allocated in each game. So executioner, three games, please, from the bag. We have Mortal Kombat 3, Primal Rage, in your own time executioner, bit of glove fumbling there, thank you very much. And finally, Killer Instinct, those are the three games. So first choice was Mortal Kombat 3 on the snares, second choice, Primal Rage 3DO, only next gen offering in this challenge and third choice killer instinct i would argue that i actually think mortal kombat 3 on the snares looks better than killer instinct on the snares 100 it's we'll get to it in a little bit but we did a whole episode recently talking about i say we did a whole episode we talked about it on an episode recently about how impressive it is that they did get killer instinct off the arcade and onto the snares uh, but actually when you watch them side by side you're like oh yeah no i can see the differences here between the two uh, noticeable differences no less uh, I'm just thrilled to see two SNES challenges. And, you know, with Killer Instinct, it's brand new. This game's only been out a couple of weeks. Yeah, it's suitably impressive that they have it here and available. And also, this guy is apparently, allegedly, that damn good at it. And he's pretty good at it as well, actually, in fairness to him. But the execution is going to get ready. And are we going to find out if it's actually just a small, wee, sad guy with an inferiority complex? Poor Ravi. I was going to say, yeah, that's clearly something they've talked about in the production meetings. Proof that the next generation consoles have made their mark was provided this week with the news that PlayStation title Destruction Derby has become the fastest selling CD-ROM ever, shifting 10,000 copies in a fortnight. The release has been accompanied by an ad featuring an attractive lady draped over a TV, the kind of gratuitous titillation that we at GamesMaster find thoroughly disgusting. Now, you and I both very much well know, Ash, that GamesMaster, as a TV show, would never stoop to the sort of levels that Destruction Derby is doing to get people to buy this game. No, definitely not. Not that I think Destruction Derby necessarily needed the help because we're here to talk about how Destruction Derby has become the fastest selling CD-ROM ever. 10,000 copies in a fortnight uh, would actually go on to have sold a million copies by August of 1996. So this was a big bouncy seller. 
I do not remember this TV advert at all, which shows a bunch of lads all sat in bed together in very much a Morecambe and Wise kind of situation with far too many PlayStation pads connected to a single PlayStation and an attractive young lady in a revealing outfit draping across said television, blocking the ventilation very bad for a CRT look. But unfortunately for her in this case, the lads are not interested in this beautiful lady. They would much rather be playing Destruction Derby on the PlayStation. I'm not quite sure how this is meant to work as an advert. It's yeah. basically, this game is so good, it will make you a shut-in. It's, I sort of get it. I sort of get what it's going for. Um, I don't think it's good, but I, I get it in a way. It did make me kind of like raise an eyebrow and go, 90s. <laughs> it is. That's exactly what it is. It is 90s. But this is a very, very Sony heavy news section because we're also here to talk about their arcade partners, Namco, and their new franchise in the making. Meanwhile, Sony's arcade partners, Namco, are putting the finishing touches to their latest beat-em-up, Soul Edge, a Tekken hugs to Shinden type situation with 3D graphics and special moves that make French nuclear testing look dull in comparison. Soul Edge will be in arcades next year with a PlayStation version following Ooh sometime later. A Tekken hugs Toshinden type situation. I love that as a descriptor. Tekken hugs Toshinden. That's really, really nice. And also, you want to talk about a phrase of its time. It has the sort of special moves that make French nuclear testing look dull by comparison. Remember when that was all over the news, Luke? Do you remember that French nuclear testing? Oh, I know, yeah. Simpler times, eh? Yeah, and, you know, what did it give us? Well, it gave us the shit-ass plot for Godzilla 98. <laughs> I've written in my notes here, though, when like looking at this game uh, on screen here, it looks cutting edge, if you'll pardon the pun. No, it is. It is a beautiful, beautiful game. It's wonderful presentation. Uh, I would I wouldn't even argue. I just state the PlayStation version is vastly superior to the arcade version. My partner will still play the PS1 version now because there's a whole um soul edge kind of like traveling around the world getting the different weapons and components and getting the master blade and, and all that kind of stuff it's a great great game it's a lot of fun i do like where it went when it kind of became soul caliber uh but but there's something about this original game soul edge slash soul blade which uh, it feels very special i mean don't get me wrong tekken felt special but tekken 2 felt really special and tekken 3 was just mind-blowing soul edge just hit it on the first try I mean, obviously they had the experience of Tekken behind them, but I think they just nailed that gameplay off the bat. Uh, my friend was massively into Soul Calibur. He absolutely loved it. Uh, I was actually a big fan of 3, I think it was, the one that had Link in it uh, on the, the GameCube. Oh, yeah, that was the one where... Wasn't it different consoles it had was, different yeah. characters? So there was Link, Link on... on the, it was Link on the GameCube. It was Spawn on the Xbox, and it was a guy from Tekken. I don't know if it was Yoshimitsu or Heihachi. It was Yoshimitsu. The, it was a Yoshimitsu, which would make sense because he's got the sword on the yeah. PlayStation version. Yeah, I, I kind of liked Spawn being the Xbox because it's like, oh, shit, <laughs> we don't have a franchise character. We can't put Master Chief in there. Although that would have been funny. You take a gun to a sword fight. Well, that's what I, th I just assumed you'd put, like, Master Chef in there. Master Chef. Yeah, that's what we used to call him. Oh. Well, actually, you could have given him one of the kind of... Because they had the kind of energy blades. You could have given him one of those. 
Yeah, I think that makes way more sense than putting Spawn in there because I, when I when I look at the Xbox, I don't think Spawn, other than it is black and green. Maybe it was a missed opportunity. Maybe we should have had more Spawn games. Spawn could have been the mascot for the Xbox with the right game. However, there has never been a decent Spawn game. So or movie. The animated series was okay though. Yes, that's not bad at all. Yeah. Yeah. Great soundtrack for the Spawn movie though. It is, but it features a fucking bollocks remix of uh, For Whom the Bell Tolls by Metallica. much does i've actually got the spawn soundtrack bizarrely in my collection of cds at work i found a i found a promo copy of it in a charity shop near work and i'm like oh i'm having that it's a it's a pretty good soundtrack actually i like the idea of it of taking metal and like uh dance music and mixing the two together and some of it is very good but some of it is very much not peanut butter and jelly luke (laughs) are you frightened by technology Nah, didn't think so. Games on the Net is a new video that sets out to explain how to find and play multiplayer games on the internet. It's pretty useful and features the most mutated presenter ever in the bizarre facial shape of Davy Winder. The Yahoo site actually makes me shout, Yahoo! Every time I connect to it. Watch. Yahoo! It's out on November the 20th. And lastly, here is something that you just don't see enough of these days. VHS tapes about how to game on the internet or like how to use Windows 95 or how to use Encarta. And you've got these, you know, this bizarre host lad here who thinks that the word Yahoo is the funniest thing in the world. Well, we, I mean, this guy starts by asking us, are we frightened of technology? To which the answer is yes, terrified, always terrified, never not terrified of technology. This guy's an IT journalist uh, who's also worked as a consultant and a writer. He's won awards for being a security journalist for regarding IT security. And he's still around and rocking today, a little bit kind of like older and greyer, but he's still out there writing and working now. This guy's career with IT started out of somewhat tragedy. Uh, Viral encephalitis left him very disabled, wheelchair bound, very limited mobility, uh, only really full motor control in one arm. And he got a computer for the first time to use games to improve the coordination on that arm. And Then as time went on, he used a word processor to learn how to read and write again, literally going back to kind of Janet and John books. It, the, the disease kind of like completely left him changed, uh, not only physically, but personality wise. It kind of wrecked out his marriage, his social life. And as time went on, as he recovered, he just became more and more reliant and interested in computers. He took part in early parts of the British online community in the late 1980s, and it helped him gain a new social and business life at a time when he was still very restricted in what he could do. He was contacted by a guy from America about writing, about like actually, you know, producing some kind of written journalistic content. And eventually the two met in person and his career advanced from there. And at this point, Winder has over 20 books published himself. 
the most recent of which, being virtual, was made in conjunction with the Science Museum in London, which explores the realm of virtual identity and is kind of semi-autobiographical in nature, talking about his journey with computers. As a happier note, he is now fully recovered and no longer needs the wheelchair at all which is lovely to hear. And yeah, he's still out there. He's still online. Go and track him down, see some of the stuff he's putting together. However, for the benefit of this feature, the website Yahoo makes him go Yahoo. And that's the joke. That's the joke. And Dominic's just like, the video's out November 20th. (laughs) This feels very much like a, if you could feature this in your show, that'd be amazing. Thank you very much. And they're like, all right got to do this because it pleases the pr people but we don't actually want to have it featured in the show we have the executioner here who reckons he can pull off any death move in any game ever invented we are trying him on three dave perry is standing dangerously close to help me out dave i'm going to call you boss boss, this boss is fine it's suitable for the challenge okay well. dave so generally what is the tough thing about fatalities to pull off it's definitely the adrenaline rush you get at the end of a fight. You've had a hard fight, you've battled through two or three rounds to beat your adversary, and all of a sudden you've got a split second to remember this intricate move. And when that move becomes instinctive, that's the mark of a great fighter. And do you think he'll do it? I think he'll do it. This man is awesome. Okay, then. Thanks, Dave. Right. Because, of course, Dave Perry is in the booth. He's the beat-em-up guy. I'm sure he'll write a book about it at some point. But remember, he's not a games journalist. No, he is a marketing manager slash book writer. He wrote a book, Luke. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I should make him a badge. <laughs> There's an interesting point that he makes here, though. The boss, that is. Um, which is that when you get to the end of a fight, you have got you know split seconds to make your decisions and get your inputs in correctly. And the one thing that may actually be at the detriment to you is adrenaline and that excitement and that's what might trip him up as opposed to not knowing what the button inputs are no i absolutely get that particularly if it's a tough fight you know you kind of you you know you you kind of you're so used to having to do lightning quick reactions that even though you've got a very short space of time you do need to slow down and think of guy okay block up up down down light punch light kick whatever it is you need to do i do just want to say i love how dom says can i call you boss and dave's like absolutely and he's like right dave (laughs) (laughs) immediately right back to where he was but yeah i thought this was actually some really genuinely good insight from dave perry because i know this i still get this now when i'm playing a mortal Kombat game is that you know i'll pick a character that i know the fatalities of maybe if i'm playing at home i will pause the game part way through the final round and just go to the command list and go just a quick reminder just a quick reminder. And then if it's a really tough third bout, it will get to the final bit and I'll bodge up the spacing and I'll just end up kind of like shifting backwards and forwards and never actually doing anything. Yeah, a bit like the killer instinct fatality we get in this challenge. Yeah, so I have some <laughs> thoughts on that. But his first fatality, it's Mortal Kombat 3. He's playing as Cabal, but it's not just a fatality, Luke. It's an animality and it's from a character that has no legacy with Mortal Kombat at this point. His debut comes in Mortal Kombat 3, where Cabal was a member of the Black Dragon Crime Syndicate alongside Kano. And it's interesting as well, because in order to do an animality, you first have to show mercy. That's where this is hidden within the game. We talked about this a few episodes back when Mortal Kombat 3 was reviewed, how animalities were rumoured to be part of Mortal Kombat 2, but they never actually existed. So when it came to Mortal Kombat 3, they were like, well, let's put them into this game because the internet and magazines think that it was in Mortal Kombat 2, so we'll actually put it into this game. But in order to do that, you've got to show mercy first. Then essentially do another part of the fight, because by showing mercy, they gain back some of their health, and you've got to get them down to a finish them position again before you can do the animality. 
So it adds like an extra level of challenge to this, which I think is really, really cool. Because technically, if you look at it purely from the kind of the command input cycle, you're doing two fatalities because you're showing mercy, which is one level, and then you have to beat them again. It's only a sliver of health, but it is enough to actually turn the tides. That's why it's a risk. And then you do the animality. It's an odd thing. I had for the longest time completely forgotten that you needed to do mercy to do an animality. I'd forgotten that was a thing. But we also get a little bit of editing trickery here because we join in the final round and it's one round apiece. So we're, we, we're, we're not getting the complete fight here. We are just getting the highlight of Mortal Kombat 3. And it's Cabal versus Sindel. And through no real surprise, given this guy's alleged pedigree, he just takes the lead with relative ease, gets to finish him, show mercy, gives Sindel the sliver of energy back, which he just knocks out of her almost immediately. And now... Now is his moment to shine. If he biffs this one, the challenge is over immediately. Nope. Mutated radioactive rhino fatalities ahoy. Animality performed. Yeah, I think that one was done with relative ease. I think what we get here is a nice progression of difficulty because when we get into Primal Rage, Primal Rage is really, really tricky to do. Primal Rage is like the inputs to do moves and the finishing moves and the fatalities on Primal Rage are genuinely really tricky so i like that we have got this sort of progression because i think killer instinct is the hardest one of the lot yeah because second up we've got the primal rage which as you mentioned very difficult to input commands and um, we're playing as blizzard who we're looking to perform the mega punch to the moon blizzard himself a noble god the essence of the animal spirits frozen for millennia at the heart of an immense glacier in the himalayas he was released when the earth met the great meteor he lives high in the mountains, descending only when threatened, and with his animal power and age-old wisdom, he was unstoppable. He's kind of an amalgam of King Kong, Godzilla, and by being frozen in the ice, Captain America. It's not quite as easy as a fight uh, that Ravi had in Mortal Kombat 3, but he still does pull this off, and he pulls off the fatality as well. Dave Perry was very excited about this fatality because you get to see the character fall far into the background. He's like, look, look, look in the background, see if he falls. And there he is. Is he going to stop punching? Off? There we go. He's punching him in the face. Now watch the background. He's going to punch him into the air. And he's going to disappear into the background. You're going to watch carefully. It's a punch frenzy. Where's that perspective? There, there he goes. goes. <laughs> the break there. The second fatality conquered successfully. Let's move on to number three. It's like tattoo in Bloody Fantasy Island. The plane, boss. The plane. I. This felt less impressive than the animality because it's like he punches him and there he goes. Like when it was called Mega Punch to the Moon, I'm just like, I want to see this like opponent fly off an impact in a moon in the background. You know, literally, if you're going to punch someone to the moon, punch them to the moon. We're already giant fighting animals. I think we're past the need for it to be realistic. I think if they had their way and they weren't afraid of the complaint, they would have done the pissing fatality. This is where we get on to this third fatality because it's Killer Instinct on the SNES. He's playing as Orchid and therefore, of course, it's the Flash move. Exactly, yeah, which we did see uh, a few episodes back then show up on screen and they show it here again. And as I mentioned earlier, I think that's the reason why this is here. Yeah, I mean, uh, Orchid just basically is a professional spy type person hidden past call it lazy story writing call it what you will and yeah that that's it she is a voluptuous spy there you go and getting into this challenge dave says your average games player would be very nervous but the executioner he's got nerves of steel and we've got the fight of orchid versus saber wolf 
And I'll be honest, I'm not sure if it's nerves of steel or he just knows the game very well because it's pretty one-sided. Yeah, I've here are my notes for this fight. It's Orchid versus Saberwolf. He pulls off the combos because of course he can, and then he fucks it at the last minute. So we have a 16-hit combo, we have a 19-hit combo, and then the screen turns red and Dave says... Is the move for all the lads? Here it comes. <sighs> lads, 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 yeah. lads. But he then biffs it. Maybe I've just been watching a, a few too many kind of like Bez investigates UFO type television series recently. But part of me thinks he biffed it deliberately. It's kind of like, oh, we're building up to the flash move. We're building up. No. I don't know. Like, is it's he slapping the hot dog out your mouth? He has the right button combo. I think his just he his spacing wasn't right. I think that's where he biffs it right at the end. I don't know because I think they would have wanted to show this because I think that's the whole point of this challenge is to show the boob fatality, um, and you know perhaps even show it twice in this episode. So yeah, I don't know if he does do it on purpose. Uh, I think the look on his face when he does biff it is like annoyed that he got it wrong. Uh, so yeah, I, I don't know about that. Having said that, he's on the production team, so they're probably just giving him a do-over. That's the thing. It's like if they wanted him to be able to pull this off, given they also didn't really have much in the way of a studio audience, they could have done it. Exactly. They could have done it. But nope, he goes off prematurely. Instead, he just bops Saberwolf on the head. No, no CGI tits, Luke. Not even a hint of pixelated side boob. Means that the executioner's challenge has ended in dismal failure. So, Executioner, if uh, patheticness was measured in ice cream, you have two scoops as big as Birmingham, I reckon, after that. What was your excuse? My excuse? It was just a bad day. I don't care what's happened here today. I'm still the world's best games player, and I am the Executioner. Any chance to say that less melodramatically, Executioner? <laughs> Maybe is this your next career change? You're going to drop the Executioner and become Pantocutioner or something? No way. No? I'll be back. Games Master will see me again. I guarantee it. Okay, well, uh, thank you very much for joining us, Executioner. Uh, maybe next time you can come on as the bloke who puts the fluffy bits in fluffy toys, and uh, that might be a little bit more apt. But uh, thanks anyway, that's enough of him. We don't need to take up any more of our time with that whatsoever. Boo goes the audience. <laughs> it's full panto season here on Games Master. And Dominic Diamond is also in uh, full spirit as he does this, the post-match interview here, sort of patheticness being measured in ice cream with scoops bigger than Birmingham. That's a lot of ice cream, Luke. He does. Uh, but I mean, for me, the, the line here is, are you going to stop being the executioner and become the pantsecutioner? Mmm, pants. <laughs> and as you mentioned there, he says that he'll be back. And he will next season. And Dom is not impressed. No, Dom basically gives him the brush off. I do think actually that the executioner says, you know, it, he starts off okay in this, which is like, you know what? There's no excuses being made. I'm not going to blame the controller. I, I was just a bad day. However, he then kind of biffs it by going, but even though I fucked no. this challenge, I'm still the world's best games player. Oh, yes. Uh, so my final theory on this, and you know, this will become more apparent when the book is out. Uh, but my final theory on this is that Ravi and Dave pitched this, and then Dom was like, we can do it if we make fun of Games World. Why not? Now, there's been uh, many great double acts in history. Morecambe and Wise, Vic and Bob, Bill and Ben, neither of whom are going to be turning in their graves at the prospect of our very own Rick and Dave reviewing combo. Dom gives us some classic double acts leading into this review section. I mean, Morecambe and Wise, Vic and Bob, Bill and Ben, and yet here we have them turning in their graves at the thought of Rick and Dave. Luke, will people do the same in the future for the thought <laughs> of Luke and Ash? <laughs> Who knows? If only we could be thought of as with such high esteem. 
as Rick and Dave. <laughs> or Bill and Ben. <laughs> First up on PC CD-ROM, Endorphin. The game that caused all that controversy a while back with more subliminal messages than my disco dancing. Endorphin and a fun more like it. You have to go through hundreds of incredibly tedious levels of grids where one square on the grid will be a different colour and you have to guide your block with its multicoloured sides so that the top side is equal to the same colour as that square. Now this game really is dull. It's like a Rubik's Cube for the brain dead. And people seem to be worried about some subliminal messages going through it, driving their kids into a trance-like state. Actually, that state is called boredom. They say this game is controversial due to its subliminal messages, but the only controversy about this game is why anybody deemed to release a game of this complete pantness in the first place. Oi, Rick, I'll do the pant jokes around here. So we've got a very interesting game here to be reviewed first, and I would wager this is only being reviewed here because they want to talk about the Buckyo here is controversy surrounding this game. Um, which is that the game features subliminal messaging. Now, if you were to just watch this episode and just watch this review section and hear them talking about the subliminal messaging and this, that, and the other, you would probably assume that it's got something negative about it. It would be something bad. It would be something, you know, untoward perhaps. And when you actually do a bit of reading about it, that's not the case at all. And even so, the controversy... That and again, Bucky O'Hare is controversy here. Isn't really about this game. It's almost like what this game could mean, because the the subliminal messaging in this game is positive affirmations. It's all about body positivity and positive states of mind and this, that, and the other. It's actually just being like, you're really good, you're really great, and you look amazing, and. It feels like this is here. Like this, this is the sort of thing I would expect to see on Bad Influence rather than Games Master. This is the game that's causing alarm among parents. It includes more than 100 subliminal messages hidden in the music. The message "I feel joyful now" is just one of those that the player hears subconsciously later in the game. Another one says, "It's okay for me to have anything I want." Subliminal messages are banned on television and radio, but the law doesn't cover computer games. The manufacturers say it is possible to switch the messages off and they've sought to justify their claim that the game's addictive. When children say I'm addicted to a video game, they mean I love it so much I want to go back and play it more and more. It's not that they physically have to do it, they have to fulfil this need. It's just a pleasure like going out and playing football, for example. But parents who feel computer games are already antisocial enough say this new development is manipulative and sinister. What they are trying to do is to affect the child's mind beneath the level of consciousness, and that seems to me an immoral thing to do. Computer games are regulated by the Video Standards Council. It's only a voluntary scheme, but most manufacturers adhere to it. This afternoon, the council asked Time Warner to submit the new game for classification before it goes on sale at the end of the month. One possibility is that it may be given an 18 certificate, like some hypnotism videos, so that younger children cannot buy it. Yeah, I mean, the, the whole idea of the positive affirmation stuff, it's very much a kind of like something I expect to be sold on QVC, like positive motivational tapes. It's, it's, not, it's not like, you know, the bitching recipe for a lentil curry. It's not like kind of like worship Satan. It's things going, I am joyful. I am powerful. I am at peace. It's kind of like anti-controversial really it's like oh no what's it gonna do make your kids feel good about themselves i mean maybe it's to combat the fact that the game is 
pretty shit. Yeah, it's amazing, really, because like when I was doing some uh, looking into this, it was like they thought this was going to be the big Tetris killer. This is going to be the next big Tetris, and as it happens, it's it's really not. It's just uh, you know they. I love Rick's line here, where it's not end or fun; it's end of fun. It's very very clever. I did find a uh, an article from the Seattle Times uh, published in October in 1995 that's talking about where this quote-unquote controversy comes from. So this is, you know, only a month ago, but it's sort of hot off the press in a way. Uh, it writes here, The game raises questions about the use of subliminals in digital media, a new and perhaps more potent platform for a controversial method of mass communication that dates to the 1950s when advertising executive James Vickery flashed the subliminal messages hungry, eat popcorn, and drink coke during screenings at a drive-in. Moviegoers, he said later, bought nearly 60% more popcorn than usual and also 20% more coke. Subliminals are taking new shape in the digital age. The relative ease with the messages can be inserted into computer codes, combined with the increasing hours people are spending in front of computer screens, leads some psychologists and media experts to believe that the potential for mind control voluntary or involuntary, is greater in the new media than it ever has come before. The Federal Communications Commission has banned subliminal messages in broadcast media since the 1970s, when controversy erupted over a TV ad for a memory game called Husker Do that displayed the words, get it, on the screen for a fraction of a second. But software remains unregulated. Interesting. I didn't realise that software would remain unregulated. You know that software wouldn't fall under the same remit. But of course, it makes sense because this game exists. Yeah, and you know, this, like what they're saying is that that was in you know in the nineteen fifties, the nineteen seventies. This is all brand new stuff. So it's almost like I think the the controversy here is less around endorphin as a game and more about what it could mean for future games who want to put in horrible messages or you know things like buy this game buy this product and this that and the other yeah no i mean here it's being used for positive affirmation kind of like harmony and feeling good about yourself and positive life goals and whatnot i mean can you imagine the subliminals you get in like a call of duty yeah. <laughs> or or a redneck rampage or or like um i don't know Primal Rage or Mortal Kombat or Way Oh my God Way of the Warrior. Oh, uh, yeah, but it might be Buy White Zombies next album, which you know I'm all on board for. Buy the Jaguar. <laughs> but yeah, Rick and Dave are for once united in that this game is pants. Dave saying it's like a Rubik's cube for the brain dead, and worried about subliminals driving your kids to a trance-like state. Don't worry, that's just boredom. Yeah, and then I like Rick's uh, saying that uh, why anyone would release the pantsness of this game in the first place. And I love Dom diving in and being like, Oi, Rick, leave the pants jokes to me. 51%. Woof. Woof. Yeah, this is here just so that they can talk about the subliminal messaging that was in the news as opposed to the game itself. Because I think we were talking about this before we started recording. It's not reviewed in the magazine, is it? No, not 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 that I can see in the issue that I've got in front of me for this month. I would, I mean, it may pop up a bit down the line, but I'd be amazed if it does much better or indeed better at all. Because the thing is, they do talk about the game here a little bit, but that's the thing. It's like there isn't much of a game to talk about. It's a relatively simple puzzle game. I mean... Tetris is a relatively simple game. You you know, you can explain the basics of Tetris on the back of a matchbook, which is slot shapes together, make lines. That's it. But it is addictive and well-crafted, whereas here they've got a very basic puzzle mechanic that is not addictive and is not well-crafted. So all it leaves you to talk about is the subliminals. 
which is, yeah, it, it controversy makes cash, except here where it doesn't. And finally, the PlayStation beat them up Tekken, which is actually Japanese for Can you hold my coat love while I beat this bloke about the face and neck? We like Tekken. We like Tekken a lot. The fluidity of movement on the characters is extraordinary. And I particularly like the special moves. As Rick said, it has the fluidity. It actually feels good to play. When you pull the moves off, they feel right. They're satisfying. This is a great game, and it's another must-have for the PlayStation. And where most beat-em-ups fail is in one-player mode. But Tekken holds its head above the water even in this aspect. Each character has their own special end-of-level boss that you have to defeat right at the end of the game. I'm telling you, it's awesome. What did make cash, however, this made fucking bank Tekken on the PlayStation, which apparently is Japanese for hold my coat, love, while I beat this bloke about the face and neck. This is a whopping score of 97%. We've had some big hitters in this series already, but bloody hell, 97%. And again, this is another one where the PlayStation version took the arcade and just upped the ante with unlockable mid-boss characters, FMVs for all the characters that existed, kind of like stories, endings, like just, just such a deeper game, not just a straight-up coin-up conversion, a coin-up enhancement. And I can't help but wonder, would we be talking so fondly about Tekken if it had been released under its original name? What was its original name? Rave War. Um, I think it would have just been one of those names that we'd have just gotten used to, because I think that is a... It's a name that seems so weird, out of context, but I think had it been released as Rave War and it's this good of a game we would have just accepted it. It's a sh** name though, isn't it, Luke? Oh, it's not not a good name at all. I'm not I'm not disputing that at all. Uh, but I yeah, I wonder if it's just the game itself would have held up over its terrible name. But again, I mean, man, what a week for reviews this is. We had Dave and Rick united in their hate of end of fun. And here we have them united again because Rick says he likes Tekken. He likes it a lot, especially the moves. And Dave's bigging up the moves, also talks about the flow, the satisfaction of the connection. They feel right. It's a great game and it's a PlayStation must have. And Rick finishes by saying... It succeeds where a lot of beat-em-ups fail, the one-player mode. That's Absolutely it. true. This game was so much fun. All the Tekken games, like particularly the first three on the PlayStation 1, were great single-player experiences. Yeah, that's where Tekken completely succeeds here. As Rick said, it's just it, that one-player experience. Beat-em-ups, you know, the, we talk about this with the lifespan in the magazine reviews of Mortal Kombat 3 and Killer Instinct and all this sort of stuff, and even in Games Master itself, but they've always said, it's better as a multiplayer than it is as a single player experience. Whereas Tekken adds variety to that single player experience that makes it worthwhile playing, which is very, very smart on their part. The whole world has gone taut all of a sudden. My muscles are taut, my nerves are taut, because shortly we have the grand final of the Games Master Football Tournament, Phil Babb against Dean Holdsworth. The girls are gonna try and relax me while we take a short break. Oh, that is fantastic, guys. If you like this. You love this. Listen. Listen. 
check the inventory, here's the situation. I can do 25,000 units. I can give you the top 10 sellers in margin. I can give you the top 10 sellers in volume. I can break it down by category, by week, by store, by garment. Come in. I will be a minute. You could double your sales. Miss, do you mind? What do you mean nobody's going to wear chartreuse? I'm going to wear chartreuse mohair. I'm wearing it now, as a matter of fact. Would you send me an email to confirm? This is very good. You won't regret it. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This scum hole might seem a long way from your safe, cozy living room. Or is it? Because now, with these, the same mind-boggling effects can infiltrate your very home. And look, this was Pop. Mom. And little Charlie. So remember, do not underestimate the power of PlayStation. It's not too late to change your mind, you know. I know, six years really isn't that long to get to know a lass. It's traditional. The condemned man has a hearty breakfast. Mm, great. Delicious flakes of corn drenched in ice-cold milk. Kellogg's Corn Flakes. How could you have forgotten how good they taste? Hello? Steve? It's that last from last night. Mm. Only joking, it's your mum. <laughs> has he eaten his breakfast yet? Kellogg's Corn Flakes. Too good to be forgotten. Stargate. The smash hit spectacular action adventure for all the family. Available to buy on video now. Welcome back to Game of Blaster Stadium, where we're quite literally 3 minutes 30 seconds away from kickoff. And if you want, you can start your stopwatches now to test me if you're feeling particularly pedantic. The rest of you can recline as we see what Games Master has in store for our grand final. So, we come back from this ad break, and if you're listening to this podcast, you might have thought, that I've accidentally used the audio from last week's episode, but it's not. It's actually different. It's basically the same script, but it's a different take. 
It's really weird. And if you want, you can start your stopwatches now to test me. If you're feeling particularly pedantic, the rest of you can recline as we see what Games Master has in store for a grand final. It's also still not true. I timed it more directly this time, and I'm like, damn it, Diamond. It was two minutes, 30 seconds this time. They were so close to being right. It's like me doing the guessing for the percentages in the Games Master magazine. So close and yet so far. But here we are. We're at the final for this year's football tournament. And what does Games Master have in store for us? For the final of our football championship, I've come up with something rather special. The incredible arcade simulation, Virtua Strike. These stunning visuals and super-fast gameplay of this instant classic should make for a thrilling final as our two champions battle it out for the joystick. The action will last a minute and 45 seconds and, as always, in the event of a draw, the winner will be decided by penalties. So we were just talking about, before we started recording the second half of the episode, that they changed it up for the final game. Now, they did this last season as well, where they did uh, the first two challenges on FIFA 95, and then the final one was on FIFA on the 3DO. And here we changed it up from Goldstorm to Virtuous Striker. And I guess we've done that because it's brand new. Look at how flashy it is. We've got this massive whopping arcade cabinet for them to be sat at and playing on. But given that neither of these two, with the exception of Phil Bab, maybe, are like hugely experienced gamers, Putting them in front of a brand new game does mean that what we get is not the best football playing we're going to see in Games Master. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. This game is very technically impressive. This is like Model 2, the Sega Model 2 hardware. So this is the same hardware that that brought us already Daytona USA, Virtua Cop, Virtua Fighter 2, Sega Rally, Virtua Cop 2. And as we continue to go on, um, the House of the Dead will appear on this, Dynamite Cop, Fighting Vipers... Sonic the Fighters, all of these will be on Model 2 boards. But what we have here is Virtuous Striker. And I will say, it looks good. It looks really, really nice. It's held up really, really well. And it was critically well-received for being... Well, it was critically well-received for being a good game. But Next Generation also says that the original Virtuous Striker is both excellent to play and to watch. It may be one of those things, but in this case, I would argue it is not the second. <laughs> I don't think I've ever played Virtua Striker, you know. Like, I, I must have played like a home release version, but I definitely never played this in an arcade. I think I did. I think I would have. I've certainly played some of the sequels. Interestingly, as time went on, this actually started to be powered by the GameCube-based hardware. Like, I think it was by Virtua Striker 4. Sega were making it for the Triforce hardware, which I, I just find kind of, wow, how weird things became when it came to arcade releases. One Nintendo back in the arcades to Sega producing games using Nintendo hardware for the arcades. But here it's we've got the game. It's Brazil versus Italy. And it's not a game of two halves. It's a game of 105 seconds. Yeah, I, because it's an arcade game, you are just paying for the one half, essentially, and then you just go straight to pens. And, I mean, it's good that Games Master was there to explain that to us because, I mean, that is essentially... Like, what Games Master does here is tell you, the viewer, this is going to go to penalties. Oh, it telegraphs it. 
yeah. absolutely telegraphs it. it. It's a case of as soon as he said, oh, well, if there's no winner, it will go to penalties. And I'm like, oh, cool. So it's going to be a nil-nil draw and it will go to penalties. That's exactly it. Oh, prepare myself for disappointment. So let's spew forth no more idle banter and immediately welcome onto the Hallowed Games Master Turf our two finalists, Phil Babb and Dean Holdsworth. <laughs> Welcome back, Dean. Welcome back, Phil. Okay, right. Obviously, this is probably the biggest match either of you have ever played in. What's some of your pre-match superstitions you follow, Dean? I think it's nice to get, nice to get a good rub down before the game, get stretched out properly, make sure you don't pull anything, obviously. Uh -huh. uh, have you had a good rub down? The oh, yeah. They have. Thank you, Phil, for that. There was actually no need to <laughs> say that, that actually, yeah. Phil, it has to be said. Uh, what about yourself? Are you happy with a rub down or do you need a little bit more? No, definitely a rub down. Yeah, and nothing more than that. You're quite content. Yes. You don't do the NC thing, leaving your shirt off until you get in the tunnel. No, I'm not all. as muscular as him. No? I don't know, you've got a fine figure of a man. Oh, geez, mate. Don't mind me saying <laughs> We know each other well enough at this point in time. Well, Phil Babb and Dean Holdsworth are here. They are our finalists. And <sighs> some chats about some, some rubdowns before the game. And what I very much enjoyed here, in terms of the, you know, the, the, sort of the, the laddish banter between these lots, is that Dom tries to do an innuendo and then Phil just says what the innuendo is. <laughs> Dom's, like, Dom, Dom's like, could it be this? And Phil's like, yes, the girls wanked us off. And Dom's like, yeah, you didn't really need to say that. <laughs> that. That was kind of going to be implied rather than actually said. We're going to be getting right. We're going to be on right to reply again, Luke. Yeah, I mean, if it wasn't going to be for the boob fatality, it, it certainly will be for this part. But anyway, before this gets too interpersonal, it's time to dribble off and get ready to kick off while Dom joins the punter's favourite, Rick Henderson. And the punter's favourite, Rick Henderson from PC Review is joining me for the final. Rick, obviously football is going to be the winner today, but how do you score? Well, what they've got to try and do is get it onto the flanks and cross it in. Um, it's going to be a very, very tight battle in the middle of the park. Also, when you pass, look for the short pass. And when the player's running, he'll look to where your other player is, is actually positioned to try and pass it in that direction. OK, That's thanks very much, Rick. Which was also an also-ran for my introduction line. I was going to go with punter's favourite. I like Rick being here. You know, the true winner will be football. <laughs> And Rick's advice is get it onto the flanks and cross it in, which is basically generic football game advice. And, and they do not follow it. They do not follow it. But we get to kick off at 2 minutes 30 seconds. God damn it, Diamond. So close, yet so far. And this challenge is lots and lots of fouls. Less than 10 seconds into our 105 seconds, and Phil goes for a tackle that would make Vinnie Jones blush and immediately concedes a free kick. I'm only assuming it wasn't a red card because the game doesn't have red cards. Uh, Rick tries to make a point, and you can literally hear his, his, his soul leave his body. What happened here? <laughs> Malfunction. Pretty Rick. Uh, only he is. <laughs> He's only the one. He was getting a rub down, Luke. <laughs> that's what it was. But he just, he's like, oh, I didn't think it. And, and Dom's just like, oh, I'm afraid Rick's shut down. And Rick's like, yeah, I just, I forgot English. Like, yeah. English suddenly wasn't my first language. Any other show, that would have been a retake. They would have done something in, they would have done something in post, done some ADR, but nope, not Games Master. They're like, 
Fucking, it. it's staying in. Do you know what? We would do a retake unless it was really funny, in which case we'd probably leave it in. This was really funny, so I'm glad they did leave it in. But Dean completely fails to convert the free kick into anything meaningful. He loses possession, then concedes a free kick himself, which Phil does turn into a shot on goal, but it goes wide, becomes a goal kick. We're now down to 50 seconds left. Everyone is just flying in, studs out. Phil lunges, concedes another free kick, which Dean gets past the defenders and promptly kicks the ball out for a goal kick. Not even sure what that was other than mistaking the pass and the shoot button. That's what I wrote in my notes here. It's like, I, I think Dean takes a shot, but it nearly hits the corner flag. Italy go on the tack again. Brazil managed to steal it. They are desperate to turn this into something. There's only 20 odd seconds left on the clock. Italy take possession again and run off the pitch with the ball. There's a moment when Phil gets a shot that clears over the bar that he thinks is a goal, and he celebrates as if he scored, but then realises that it went over. And that is probably the closest we'll get to an actual goal in this game before we reach penalties. Yeah, we, we have a brief period of injury time, but this, Luke, has been a boring-ass final. In fact, it's been so boring, just to relieve the monotony as the whistle goes... Italy almost scored own gold just out of pure desperation. So we get into penalties here. And this is probably the most exciting part of the challenge because, of course it is, it's penalties. And everyone loves penalties, Luke. Particularly English fans. And <laughs> you think it's going to be Phil here because Phil appears to be the player that knows the, like, you know, turning the character, angling the ball, controlling where the ball is going because... He he changes the angle and he scores, whereas Dean is just straight at the keeper. Keeper doesn't even move. And his second one is, again, straight down the line. And I feel that that is all Dean does for the majority of these, these penalties. But Phil is trying to be a bit clever with it. And yet somehow it's Dean that wins. Yeah, what we end up getting is we end up getting kind of pointing one direction, kicking in the other, which is relatively schoolboy tactics and somewhat disappointing that it worked against two professional level football players. I'll give him a mulligan on the fact that this is a video game and not real football. In real football, they would have probably well scouted it and dealt with it. Well, Phil, listen, in the semi-final, you demolished Graham Lasso 4-0. What happened today? It was just, uh, just the tail of the striker versus the defender, wasn't it? Came down to penalties and the better technique won. It was. It was a, a bit unfortunate for you. Dean, what, what were you thinking when you came to that penalty shot? Did you reckon that you had the, uh, the gumption to see it through? I think so. The cliche is you're happy to be there, but when you're there, you might as well, you know, <laughs> win it while you're there. And uh, it was nice, obviously, to uh, win on the shootout. I think when we started this and we had Dean Holdsworth in that first round and Phil Babb in the second one, we, I certainly went into this being like, this is Phil all the way. He has got this in the bag. So, yeah, I was surprised to see that Dean ends up being our winner here. Yeah, I, I, if we'd been on winning 11, Phil would have taken this it comfortably, I reckon. Yeah, Babster 100%. I wish it stuck with winning 11. I, I wish they had as wish. well. I get why they changed it. I get why they shook it up. But I think when you saw the lads playing these games, it probably would have just been better to stick with the game that they knew. Yeah. But sadly, as with all tournaments, there can only be one. So Dean gets a joystick and, I don't know, we're going to behead Phil while Queen play or something. <laughs> Is that what the execution has been waiting for? It's finally my chance to shine. <laughs> I fucked the first challenge. I shall not fuck this. Come back like five hours later and he's just still like hitting him in the side <laughs> of the neck with a plastic axe. And he's like, quit it. 
Stop it. No, I've got to behead you. We're here at Magic Edge in Silicon Valley. Top multiplayer action simulation type situation. And we're here to find out exactly why Americans like my friend Randy are quite literally spending lots of time here. Magic Edge in Silicon Valley, California is the world's most advanced multiplayer experience. Up to 12 would-be pilots bundle into large articulated pods and engage in some top Top Gun style dogfight situations. The Magic Edge Center itself is designed to add to the sense of realism, encouraging the kind of unironic enthusiasm only Americans are capable of. With teams, leagues and special call signs, everyone seems to take it very seriously. Well, Ash, Dom is out and about again, and he looks like he had quite the night out before they recorded this feature. He's looking a little bit worse for wear. Ideal time to be playing a fully immersive flight simulator, Luke. I'm sure that will be his reasoning for why it doesn't go quite as smoothly as it might have done. Yeah, so this is kind of the, this is the sort of thing you expect to see in Lawnmower Man, but it's real. This is this is peak 90s and this entire installation is a joint venture between Namco and the company Magic Edge to try and produce a commercially viable kind of fun arcadey flight simulator for Namco's theme park. So kind of Namco Fun Park, Namco Wonderland, so on and so forth. It was running off SGI workstations. It cost a cool $750,000 with an annual maintenance charge of $100,000 a year. This was a pretty pricey bit of kit and one that apparently wasn't actually that good from a gameplay point of view there were other better playing games out there albeit ones that weren't quite as graphically advanced because this does look pretty good particularly for 94.95 but then again it's running off a quarter of a million dollar sgi workstation yeah it does look really nice and and i think the idea because they, they talk about how there's leagues and stuff and teams and you all get your own call signs you can see why it's can attract a certain type of audience in the same way that when i was a teenager going down to my local internet cafe and playing counter-strike attracted a certain type of audience you mean nerdy white guys yeah exactly yeah the same and then you know and it's the same faces every single week uh granted we didn't quite make as much fun of those people you know ourselves included as this uh, feature does some of the people that are attending Magic Edge. Now, Gerard, you're actually in the, the leagues that they run here. How, how do they work? Well, they have two different leagues. They have a league for cadets, and then they have a league for aces. Right, you're an ace. Right, yeah. right. What's, what's your call sign when you fly? Saxon. Saxon, why? Yeah. Um, it just seemed like a good war name. Uh -huh. <laughs> how much money have you spent then on this from day one? Oh, probably in the four figures range. So over a thousand dollars. Yeah, well, I've been flying for a year. Why, why is he called Saxon, Luke? Because it's a cool-sounding name. And how much has he spent here since day one? Oof, crikey! I mean, they are spending a lot of money on this. Four figures on this place thus far. I mean, I suppose Namco have got to get the money back somehow. Yeah, I mean, four figures is quite a range of money. None of it cheap, and he's been flying for a year. And, and, I mean, he is kind of like one extreme that we see of people that play this. And we then immediately leap over to uh, Nicole, who, as best as Dom can tell in his hungover state, is a lady. She is, yeah. And they've interviewed her because she is a lady. 
and that offers up a different perspective on this. However, she is also a lady who thinks this is really sad and doesn't really want to be there much. Right, Nicole, uh, unless I'm very much mistaken, you are a lady. And, uh, not, last time I looked, yeah. There's not, not a great deal of them in this place. Why is that? Well, um, perhaps it's because of the uh, physical attributes that most of the gentlemen possess here. How much time then would you say you spend here in a week? Um, not as much as, as, you know, the frequent customers. I come here maybe like twice a month. Yeah. Um, I really enjoy it, but I don't want to overdose on it. Sure. Yeah. Sure. What I don't understand is like why you got these guys here. And some of them are here quite a lot. I'd say some of them, some of them come here like every day, would you say? Yeah, probably. Why do they want to sit in a dark pod when they're in like one of the sunniest parts of the world? Probably because they don't have a life. Why don't you tell us how you really feel, Nicole? I mean, she goes there because, you know, it's a bit of fun. She goes maybe once or twice a month. And Dom's like, yeah, do you know, the, you're a lady here. There aren't many of those. Why do you think that is? And basically she says, because all the men here are fat, sweaty nerds. That's 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 kind of like, she talks about the physical attributes of a lot of the gentlemen possess whilst they show a slow motion piece of video of a thudding bloke. Yeah, so they sh show this lad, this, this larger gent with a bit of carriage to him, and then put like Godzilla-style stomping sound effects with each one of his footsteps. I mean, I don't think they needed to even show that footage. I think her statement stood by itself. I know, it made me feel so bad for the guy. Yeah, I, it's it's punching down in the worst possible way. She is kind of like someone that comes here for a bit of fun. She probably works nearby and she's just like, oh, it's a way to unwind. And Dom's like, some of these guys come here every day. And, you know, why, why would you want to sit in a pod when you're in one of the sunniest places in the world? And Nicole is pulling no punches. She's like, well, probably because they don't have a life. Yeah. As I've written my notes here, she basically calls everyone here sad. Yeah, I feel seen. But, <laughs> yeah. but we, we're about to get into, like, Dom actually playing the game. But I found the website, quite an old website, of someone who used to work for this company they used to work for magic edge and they had it on their cv this is like a peak late 90s to early 2000s website and also on their cv they had a click off kind of like their pages leading off talking a bit about their experience and i just wanted to read you out this passage from this website this is for one robert m Laurie, who states it was my first experience with a silicon valley startup company we were about 30 employees strong when I joined the team, and we all had high hopes of building a global franchise of virtual reality entertainment centers. The first center was built in Mountain View, California, the second in Tokyo, Japan, and the third was ordered for Sydney in Australia. I was hired with 50,000 shares of stock in a company that was destined to go public within three years. This was to be my big break, or so I thought. Uh-oh. We had a major Christmas party in 1995 and lots of toasts to our success and dreams of the future. Several months later in 1996, management announced the cash flow problems and asked that everyone go on half pay for a short time. Three months later, there was no cash for salaries, but the investors were right around the corner, they said. I took the summer off and returned home to the shores of Lake Superior. Upon returning, Chapter 7 bankruptcy was filed and my $13,000 in unpaid back salary was placed on a low-priority creditors list. I never received a dime. Oh, man, that's a sad, sad story. That's less than a year yeah. from when this was filmed. I know, because, I mean, they must have filmed this the summer of 1995. And, yeah, come the summer of 1996, 
place is gone. Uh, yeah, it was it was a hard read and it was very much a case of this happened with startups. This still happens with startups. Uh, we're, we're only less than like, what, four or five years off the dot-com crash, you know, which I lost. I lost my job in the dot-com crash. I lost my job uh, because the company I was with closed not even because of the dot-com crash, just because they saw what was happening with the crash and they went, ooh, let's do it by choice rather than because we need to. And it was a case of, there was only like half a dozen of us working for this company and we were like, but we're fine. (laughs) We're fine. Even if we stopped earning any money tomorrow, the bank balance is is fine. But no, it was just like, nope, you know, I'm shuttering the place. And then we were contractors for a couple of months and that was it. But that was how startups went. It, yeah. it was a crazy, crazy thing. But and back in... Mass- nine- a massive amount of money spent there by Namco and, and, and Silicon Graphics, things like that. And like, it, I think that shows just how much money had been spent and how untenable this sort of business model is. If you've got, and I'm, I'm going to use this word and I don't like using this word, but whales like Jared's, who were there spending upwards of four figures on the place and is there all the time and it's still not making any money whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, this is um, this kind of reminds me of Quasar in that it's not just a case of, oh, you turn up, you go in a flight simulator. They've got the flight lounge, they've got the leagues. Part of the actual experience is having an air controller that's actually talking to you, not a robot voice, not pre-recorded. This is a real human being giving instructions from the ground. There's a lot of build-up here, and there's clearly a lot of people that come and take this very seriously and throw as much money into this as they might a gambling habit or other kind of activities like that. And it's not enough. There wasn't enough investment. And I wonder if part of it is because arcades were already beginning to kind of experience a bit of a turn because home computing and home consoles. I mean, you've got this here, which looks good. But over on the PlayStation, Namco, we're going to have Ace Combat soon. Yeah. And I guess like what you're going for here is the experience of it all. Like you mentioned that sort of like, you know, that flight controller and things like that. And But if it's so expensive... And you can get a game that's probably just as good and you can get it for 60 bucks on your PlayStation at home. You could probably just create your own leagues at home and that's, you know, part of the experience and part of the fun. You want you want some haptic feedback? Just get Granny to sit behind the couch and kick it every time you get shot. Well, despite the fact I have a full and rewarding life, I was contractually obliged to have a go. Okay, unfortunately, I've been accused of being ironic in a built-up area, so I have to fly a mission against uh, basically every single American on the entire planet, and they're all going to try and shoot me down. But uh, I think I'll take them. The complex 12-player combat is monitored by a controller, in this case, a rather fit one, who was forced to call me by my call sign, Love Daddy. Being a highly decorated combat pilot in real life, of course, but I don't like to talk about it, I took to my jet fighter like a duck to water, sort of. I'm trying to confuse the Americans by flying very badly. Love, Daddy. Sorry? Switch your weapons to your missile. Okay, Love, Daddy, you're the closest one to me. Okay, American guys, come and get him. You think you're hard enough? Unfortunately, I hadn't realized the Americans had been quite literally <laughs> holding back. Hey, pilot, you have permission now to shoot down Love, Daddy. Here we are, Luke. We had Saxon earlier. What is Dom's call sign? It's not pants related or trouser related, but it's very much a Dominic Diamond call sign. It made me laugh far, far too much. 
And we experience Dominic flying badly. As you said, we also see the controller in their job and they're going, oh, switch your we- weapon system to missile. And at that point, she's had enough of saying the words love daddy into a microphone. And she gives permission for all the other pilots to basically shoot down love daddy. And Dom dies very quickly. But he's not to blame and his plane isn't to blame. It's a much more simple explanation than that. The reason is probably too tight a trouser to be wearing for this kind of thing. A lot of the Americans had looser fitting trousers, but it was great for them. Cut of trousers can make all the difference, Luke. Again, I mean, I'm pretty sure that's why some countries lose wars. Because their trousers are too tight. Yeah. It's also the reason some of them start wars, because their trousers <laughs> are too tight. It was a hell of a snapshot. Uh, it was yeah. it was a lot of fun to see something that was again breaking technology, brand new, kind of cutting edge. But ah, uh, as we just came up with via Robert's uh, kind of like little journal of working for the company, the company was kind of like even at the point that this went out, the company was about to have a massive Christmas party because the future was bright. And then less than a year later, chapter seven. It's amazing, isn't it? And like it is, you, you you hit the nail on the head there. It's a lovely little snapshot of 1995. I get California 1995 as well in this bit. You know, this is the future. This is the future of arcade. This is what everyone will be flocking to. And nine months and the thing's dead. A, a great idea, but I said, you know, I talked about how like when I was a teenager, I used to go down to an internet cafe that ran Counter-Strike Leagues and everyone there had call signs and things like that and i can tell you this for free it did not cost as much as these did and i bet you people had the same level of experience and slightly less pretentious as well and no one had to call anyone love daddy well we're now completely funned out for today but at least the executioner has found a job worthy of his stature in fact life is a lot like the executioner's costume laughable ill-conceived and frequently itchy. Bye-bye. This is when I figured he was on the production team. Yeah, definitely. When he was doing this skit at the end there, I was like, he had to be on the production team. And life is a lot like the executioner's costume. Laughable, ill-conceived, and frequently itchy. Yeah, it does look shit. But in a rare moment for Games Master, this is not the end of the episode. We get the credits, and then we get the post-credit stinger of some outtakes of Sir Patrick Moore. Ooh, ah, Cantona. Ooh, ah, Cantona. Ooh, ah, Cantona. Come and have a go if you think you're hard enough. Ooh, ah, Cantona. <laughs> Ooh. I... D- Biggest laugh of the episode here. Not enough to save the episode for me because I'm not actually overly high on this episode, but seeing, yeah, Patrick Moore trying to say, ooh, ah, Cantona, that, that, I wish we got more of this. I genuinely wish we got more. Because we saw one of them last week, didn't we, with the come and have a go if you think you're hard enough. Like you had three episodes of this football tournament. You could have slotted some of these in there. Posit the episode was running short. Um, maybe. The second half feels very, very short. It's amazing that the episode is running short, given we ended up on sodding penalties. Yeah, but it was also like one minute and five seconds or whatever it was as a uh, as a half of football. Yes, but that was series five, episode eight. To turn the tables, because I got in there first. Luke, what did you make of it? I think I'm with you on this one. I I like the first challenge um, in the sense of that it's fun to see three different games and I like the gimmick around it. 
it's not as good as the puzzle bobble gimmick or the time crisis gimmick or anything like that or you know the blindfolded mortal kombat 3 gimmick but i do like it as a conceit of picking out games at random having to know and like and i'm i'm choosing to believe i'm sure it's not the case but as a viewer i am choosing to believe that this guy does know all of these things and it is picked at random and he didn't even know what characters were going to be given and that adds enough uh, you know a, a good level of like oh that's really cool and uh, particularly if i'm watching this at the time which i would have been i'd have been sort of blown away by sort of like the level of skill that it would have taken to be able to do this at that point i guarantee you now people there's like a hundred thousand people that could do this and wouldn't have bollocks it in the final uh, seconds of it but the second half of the episode with the football challenge which wasn't great and the magic edge feature which isn't my favorite feature i've ever seen on this series i i i, I wasn't overly into the second half of the episode no. and that sort of left me a little bit cold on it a little bit like so yeah i it's it's not my favorite episode that we've had so far it doesn't feel like a filler episode you know like we've got some of them in series four which like this was just filler stuff just to get us through to the end of the series this doesn't feel filler but it's also not one of the better efforts there's some good ideas and if you'd excuse the pun there's some poor execution yeah i think that is probably the best way to describe it what did you make of it i know i'm with you i i thought the news wasn't really that much news. I mean, okay, cool. Destruction Derby's selling a lot of copies. Here's an advert that has aged badly. Talk a bit about um, Soul Edge. Cool. It, it's cool. It'll be even cooler talking about it when we can actually play it. You know? Yeah, Soul um, Edge, I thought, was the best news item in there. Like, Destruction Derby selling well and the, 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 the video that's coming out on November 20th. Yeah, it's, it's okay. But, like, Soul Edge was the really cool thing there. Yeah, the video would have been a better feature if it wasn't just there to just literally go, also buy this or don't, we think it's pants. I like the executioner challenge and yeah, let's suspend disbelief because we're already saying that Dominic's in heaven and here's some angels and Games Master is God, probably. Um, so yeah, let's suspend the disbelief for that. It was a fun challenge, shame it was biffed at the last hurdle. Reviews, they were fun. It was nice to see Tekken doing so well and end of fun, sure. It's yeah. been a while since we've had a game that was just universally dogged on. It's nice to have one every now and again, just to remind you that, you know, this Games Master will tell you when a game is shit <laughs> and when it actually deserves to tell you that a game is shit. Yeah, I just keep coming back to the football challenge. Winning 11 should have just stuck with it. It was a good game. It was a fun game. It was still a new game and it still looked good. Should have just stayed with it, not not switched up, not only to a different game, but a completely different platform and structure. Yeah, I think it it makes it worse I mean, it looks cooler and, the, you know, the huge arcade cabinet was really cool and impressive, but the challenge wasn't as good because these are two guys. I mean, you feel bad, but apparently he has played quite a bit of games. And I think we saw last week, he is a much better games player than the other three that were in this tournament. But if he's not played this a lot, then all you got was just fouls and then penalties at the end. Yeah, it was very much like watching England bomb out of a tournament. Or right at the final hurdle. Yeah. And I, I think I enjoyed the feature a little bit more than you just because I'm like, oh, wow, this is an early example of dot-com f***ery, basically, of like kind of tech startups going awry. And I say I'm really happy that I found that to kind of little resume footnote from a guy that was working for the company and giving a little bit of an insight there. And genuinely, what saved the second half for me was the Games Master outtakes. And there are some the way we record these episodes and the way we do them there are some episodes where i might have missed these where i'd have already hit next to start writing my notes for the next episode and it just so happened i just let 
I let it play. And so I saw these and I'm like, oh, that was fun. I'm definitely not in the 80s for this. I'm not even sure I'm in the 70s. Oof. I think I'm going to go, I'm going to throw back on this one because we had some throwback gameplay from series one and two with that football challenge. I think I'm going to give it a 69. Nice. I yeah. I mean, I, I was in the 70s. I was at a 71. It's not a recommend, obviously, um, but I, I think I enjoyed that execution and challenge more than you did. So I am bumping it into the 70s, but I'm not high in the 70s. I'm only at, I only had it at 71. And it's still a perfectly watchable episode, but we've had some real highs recently and some real kind of exceptional bits and pieces. And they say that kind of absolute massacre on winning 11 the other week was so much fun. And it felt like we were building towards something special. And then the... Well, maybe next week will be a better episode. Why don't you find out by listening to it? Thank you all so much for listening to this one, though. Uh, you can find us on social media. We're on Twitter at underconsolepod, on Instagram at under.console, and you can send us an email to feedback at underconsultation.com. Or if you want to get some real-time interaction, you want to talk with us, talk with other listeners, other fans of retro gaming and retro pop culture, you can join us on our Discord, details of which can be found on social media and in the show notes. If you do want to hear next week's episode right now, you can do over at patreon.com forward slash under console pod, where you'll get that at the £5 level. You'll also get access to Under Console Nation, our monthly community show, and UCP Extra, which is this show format, but about other shows from the 80s and 90s. At the £10 level, you get a little bit extra. Ash, what do they get? Oh, at the £10 level, they get our brand new 2.0 patreon pack which contains some new shiny stickers well same designs just diff different producer the old one went out of business r.i.p uh we get some revised badges which now include 88 percent and you wrote a book <laughs> luke you've got your own badge it's quite nice really isn't it <laughs> and um you also get some retro trading cards based around 90s fox animation there's some absolute classics in there including the tick you get retro sweeties and all of this is contained in our glorious glittery golden joystick waggler mug which i am so happy we finally got and also got with the correct printing on but also do not put it in the dishwasher or the microwave or the microwave we are not held liable for that i have rewritten the the kind of note that goes with the patreon pack and specifically put in bold do not put in the dishwasher it will give your crockery glitter herpes do not put in the microwave because fire uh but a shout out to those 10 pound backers xanderthal william tom simon sean retro fund for everyone reese paul nick misha matty boo mark link kevin jamie it's Mashley, Ian, Harriet Manga Girl, Gordon Dempster, Gordon Brands, David Palmer, David Fisher, Darkside73, Cliff Buster, Chrissy Two Sticks, Arcadia Wild Bill, Andy, Andrew, and Adam D. Thank you all so much for listening to this show. And one of those Andys or Andrews is the guy I went to school with. Oh, isn't that lovely? Yeah, I know. He's uh, paying thank... to hear my voice. How weird is that? <laughs> thank you all so much for listening. We will see you next week on Under Consultation. Take care, everyone. Good night.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.